Welcome to the Chi Alpha UNC podcast. We're excited that you've decided to stop by. We are in a new series called Same God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today, CJ continues our series by telling us that God still punishes the evil and the wicked. This message was recorded on April 6th, 2023 at the Columbine Suites at the UC. Please join us every Thursday at 7 p.m. at the UNC campus. All are welcome. Come as you are, leave as a new creation. Awesome. Yeah, hey. So raise your hand if you remember, uh, if you've been here long enough to remember the, uh, the honor bombs. Remember we see that? Yeah, yeah. And so, man, we were in staff meeting. We were just like, man, I really miss those days, you know. Now, now I want to I wanna say this. Tonight, I want to invite a couple of my friends up uh, to honor a couple other people in the room. Now, before I do that, I want to just speak briefly. Like, we in Chi Alpha believe in a culture of honor. Mm-hmm. All right? Now, now, honor is not like, oh, man, you're... You just look so good today, and uh, man, I'm a better person because of you, because, you know, it's not so much that. Honor, true honor, is recognizing what God has done in the other person. (laughs) Does that make sense? So it's not flattery. It's not like, uh, oh, you're just so sweet all the time. It's not so much that, because we're not giving glory to each other. We're giving glory to God in the other person. Does that make sense? So uh, with that spirit, see, well, actually, before I... Let me just say this, too. The Lord's, like, speaking right now. I don't have any notes, but let me just say this. Like, that's the thing that separates the church from the world, <laughs> right? Like, like I, heard, I heard somebody say one time, like, like, we have to be able to be more than equally talented group of atheists, right? Now, we could put on great worship sets. You don't have to be a believer to be a good musician, right? I can, I can preach. I've, I've known people that have preached sermons that don't actually know Jesus, Right? That's not really what separates Chi Alpha from the rest of the world. What really separates Chi Alpha is, is how we love one another because of Jesus. Right? Jesus even says, they will know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another. Amen? And it's not flattery. It's not, oh, yeah, you look great. And I love your beard. It's not so much that. It's, I recognize what God has done in you. So you are with me, right? So with that spirit... I want to start up some honor tonight, okay? And so tonight, I want to invite up Emily and David. Would you guys come forward? Welcome these guys up. And we're going to have them share. I don't know which one. Ladies first? All right. Sure. Uh, (laughs) So... um, I should start by saying, like, you always know the Lord is, like, talking to you when the person he puts on your heart to honor, you're like, hmm, okay, I wouldn't have come up with that one, but sure. (laughs) So, (laughs) no, um, so when I was asked to do this, there was, like, one person that, like, God just had on my mind, and uh, this person is a man of very few words. Um, he's kind of the broest bro of them all. Um, I am honoring none other than Cade. <laughs> um, <laughs> woo! Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, um, so I... <laughs> I don't know. How long have you been Kyle Flacade? <laughs> a while. Like, I've technically known Cade for a while, but I had the amazing opportunity to go on a mission trip with Cade. And if you really want to get to know Cade, go on a trip with Cade. Because he really is a man of very few words. And because of that, like, I feel like I would have never gotten to really know Cade. And, um, you know, I was I was praying about it, and... If you guys weren't here when we came back from mission trips and we gave testimonies, Cade got really sick on our trip, and you know he was so down that he wasn't going to be able to go evangelize on campus. And let me just say, that's the kind of heart that God looks for in a servant. The kind of heart that's like, I feel 
awful, Lord, but I want to do your will. And everything that comes out of Cade's mouth, like, regardless of it's funny or not, like, it's really profound, especially the things that the Lord has placed in his heart. And so I was like, all right, God, I see these things in him, but what do you want to call out in him? And so I was just thinking about it, and I've been reading through Ezekiel, and I, I came to this verse that's talking about this concept of a watchman. Now, the Bible talks a lot about, like, prophets being the people that are going and telling the things that God is saying. But watchmen, they stand, and they watch for what is coming, and they are the first alert to what is happening. So it says in chapter 33, verse 7, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So here are the words I speak, and give them a warning for me. Cade, you are so passionate about the things that God has done, and you know the future that he has placed in every one of our lives. And so I pray that he calls you out like a watchman that stands at the gate, because every single person you approach, you don't seem like the guy that's going to go and prophesy to them. But he's put your, his word in your heart, and because of that, he's called you out to be the first one that goes and tells them that the king is coming. Yeah. You're the one waiting at the gate when the bridegroom comes and you're alerting the people saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Ready your lamps. Be ready for the king is coming back. And so that is just the word that I got. Cade is so cool. You should get to know him. Be bold, Cade. All righty. That was awesome. (laughs) I almost cried. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so when I was asked to honor I was also praying on this one and um, as I was praying uh, the person that came up to my up in my mind it actually brought me peace like yes this is the person I need to honor you know Um, her name is CJ (laughs) so I'm going to read this out to y'all So I want to honor CJ. There is no particular reason per se for why, except that I've known her for about three years. And I got to say, you know, when I really think about it, she is not the same person she was three years ago. Like, it is, it's dramatic, the change she's been through. So as as she has been living her life, experiencing joy, pain, and disappointment, or making mistakes as well as doing well for others and serving. Um, You can just see her change into something that only God himself could orchestrate. Praise God, and I am also very thankful, God willing, that she will be the bride for my best friend, Mark. So, I love you, CJ. So I'm going to hand it back to you, ladies. But, but so you, you two that just got honored tonight, uh, next Thursday, um, would you come prepare to honor somebody else? All right? That was good, right? It's hard to take it, right? <laughs> but thank you, Jesus. God gets the glory, right? So be prepared for that. And, uh, yeah, well, there you go. Okay. Okay. Our next announcement is a testimony video by Christian Lead Home. I'm Christian Lead Home. I'm part of Chi Alpha UNC, and this is my testimony. Growing up, I never went to church. Religion was never really talked about in my household. Going through high school, kind of felt like one of those people that could disappear and no one would really notice. After I graduated, my uncle committed suicide. And I was part of a friend group, and it was very toxic, full of manipulation, verbal and mental abuse. A few of uh, said people lived with us for a little bit, and manipulation and abuse just got worse from there. These specific people didn't claim to be Christian or anything, but some others in this friend group did claim to be Christian. And so they moved out after a while, 
and the healing process finally began. I met some new people, some new friends, entered my first relationship, I was going to get a raise at work. Everything seemed perfect, too perfect. And then COVID happened and everything that I valued was just gone. My life felt like a joke at that point. I went out and purchased a firearm and for various reasons. And one night, as I went to bed, I made the decision to kill myself. As I sat in my bed that night, I had no intention of seeing that following morning. And so I grabbed my firearm, and as I held it, I loaded it, and something happened that I still struggle to properly explain. But there is some kind of outside force that stops my arm from moving. And all, all I was able to do was to take the magazine out. Then I had full control of my arm back. Then I put the magazine back in and same thing would happen. It would just not be able to move. So I sat there struggling with this until I finally just gave up and just put it down, just burst into tears and begged God to give me my life back. And so I started believing more in God. And then I came to UNC, still in COVID, and didn't have much opportunity to do anything or meet new people. My depression came back kind of with a vengeance. I fell into self-harm for a short while and nearly went to suicide again. As the wreck fest happened, I almost didn't go. Something told me I should go. I run into a couple of people named Quentin Choi and uh, Audrey Parmentier. They invited me to a party. Sweet, I'm going to have fun and get drunk and it's going to be a great time. I get to the party, there's no liquor, and me at the time was thoroughly disappointed. Uh, that's when they told me that they're all part of this group called Chi Alpha. I was asking myself, what am I getting into? So I uh, went to the first large group that they invited me to. Being preached by this guy named Duncan, the one phrase that he said that shook me to the core was, God feels everything that you feel. In, in that one moment, everything that I went through, every fear and anxiety suddenly felt justified. And it was at that point, like, I'm gonna follow God. About a week later, in my desperation for companionship, I got into a situation that completely backfired. I battled trauma for that following five months. And in my battle with this trauma, I was repenting and just praying for his forgiveness. Anxiety was at the highest it's ever been. And it was to the point where I could barely breathe sometimes. My entire body would be trembling. I couldn't focus in any of my classes. I nearly gave up on praying until one Thursday night, it was another large group and it was Duncan praying, uh, preaching again. He told the story of when Jesus and his disciples were on a ship in a storm and his disciples run up to him as he's sleeping proclaiming that they're going to die. And so Jesus got up and simply spoke calm and the storm stopped. You have nothing to fear as long as you follow the Lord. I was shook to the core. I pulled Duncan aside and told him what was going on, just how bad my anxiety's been. He prayed with me. In that one moment, five months of fear and anxiety was gone. And I just couldn't believe it. I felt so much better after something so simple. Any kind of doubt I had was gone. Any kind of doubt about following Jesus was gone. And I just hope that if anyone that's suffering in silence, you don't have to suffer in silence anymore. Is he here tonight? Oh, yay! Well, we're all thankful that you're here with us. All right, we have one last announcement. CJ, will you come on up?
interns. Woo, let's go. Well, hi. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna be so honest. I was not nervous <laughs> until David honored me, and I got completely flustered. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> so, yeah, cool. Well, thanks for letting me be up here. I'm so excited. It was so funny earlier. Um, we were in here, and Duncan, he goes, "Hey, CJ." You know, like I don't know, four or three years ago, when you were watching my kids outside the CC, do you ever think you'd be preaching? I was like, "No, not at all." <laughs> so, um. Yeah, so I'm preaching tonight on the last, or one of the last end sections of our verse that we've been focusing on in Exodus 34, but before we get there, I'm going to open us up in prayer, if that's all right with y'all. <laughs> all right, all right. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that I get to be here today, Jesus, that I get to be here with my friends, Lord, and I get to... Just talk about you. That is the ultimate dream of mine, Jesus, is just to talk about you and be with the people I love. And Lord, I just pray that you will use me as a vessel tonight, God, that you will speak through me. And if anyone has to hear something from you, Lord, that they will be having their hearts softened to hear you, Jesus. And I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Cool. Well, when I... Uh, was figuring out kind of where to start this sermon. I didn't really know what to do, and I was praying on it. That light is really bright. <laughs> um, the Lord really pressed on me that I already know what to say. I just need to say it, and that is my testimony. So we've heard a lot of testimonies tonight. Christian, your testimony is so beautiful. Um, so I'm going to start off by sharing a little bit of my story with you guys. Um, I know a lot of people here know my story, but for those who don't, I did not grow up in a consistently Christian home. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was pretty little. I think I was like two or three. And my mom got remarried when I was about four. And my dad did not remarry until I was about 15 or 16. Um, there were just long periods of my childhood where I just didn't even step foot in a church. And, or I was forced to go. And what's the point of going if you have no heart behind it, right? And so as a kid, I had no intention or interest of being involved in the church. Um, but it's interesting enough that even though I didn't want to be there or I had no interest, if you asked me who God was or if he was real, I'd say yes. I never questioned if God was real, and my heart just knew that he was. But as I got older and I started walking with the Lord, I realized that there's a difference of knowing of someone and knowing someone. I knew of God, but I didn't know him. So as a child, I couldn't tell you wh what God was like. I couldn't tell you what he liked, and I especially could not tell you what he disliked. I had no idea of what broke God's heart, and I just, yeah, I had no idea of who, God's, who God was, what his heart was like. Now, I could tell you things like, yeah, stealing's bad, murder's bad, <laughs> you know, honor thy mother and father. And I, ha I had a lot of parents to keep up with. <laughs> so um, because of that skewed understanding of what God's heart was like, my understanding was that if I was a good person, I got into heaven. <sighs> so I lived my life as what I thought made me a good person. I never drank. I never smoked. I never partied. I never snuck out. And I was always home on time. In high school, after my sophomore year, I was actually generally very, or genuinely very well liked. I was what most people would consider like popular. Um, I was involved in all school activities, pretty much. I was on the softball team. I was in every single choir you could name besides the boys' choir. And I built a lasting name with the people that I grew up with. I was a good kid, but I was a kid who felt caged. I felt locked behind these bars and rules, and I was convinced that I had never tasted true freedom. Now, it's interesting because I had freedom to do what I wanted as a kid. My parents, they did let me go out. I did go out with my friends almost every weekend, not doing anything crazy. Just We went to like the soda shop down the road, which sounds so old, but it's true. <laughs> um, and I was even allowed to date, which most girls my age at that time were not allowed to do. So even though I had so much freedom... I still felt imprisoned in this image of being a good kid and a good person. 
So fast forward, I graduate high school in 2017, and as soon as I was 18, I was like, I got to go. I got to get out. I am not from Colorado, fun fact. <laughs> I move almost 1,000 miles away from home looking for what I thought was freedom, not even realizing what was ahead of me in this pursuit and blindly running forward with no plan of what to do if I hit a dead end. This was the beginning of what could have been the end of my life. I became involved with not so great friends, people who didn't know the Lord, of course, um, people I couldn't be around without them tearing me down for their own amusement, who used my pain as their pleasure, and people who even targeted weaknesses of mine, including things like damaged relationships with parents, and they used that as ammo against me, but I was so desperate for company that I stayed. They started getting involved with things that, at that time, I had never been interested in. So they were out partying, they were out drinking, they were out doing drugs, and they started even getting involved with guys. Having premarital sex, and they even tried pulling me into it, convincing me to get dating apps and go on dates and hang out till three in the morning with guys alone, and I was like, ugh. <laughs> I was there seeking company, but I was so sure that I was a good person that I thought by not involving myself physically in what the people were doing around me, I was somehow maintaining this clean slate with God. And then I was so sure that I had never sinned until maybe my junior year of college because that was how little I knew of God's heart. So the end of sophomore year of college now, I worked at the campus commons right across and I also worked in this building in fact. And one day at work, I met these really loud people. <laughs> there was this British guy who just cackled, and I was just like, oh my gosh, he's so loud. There was this big Irish dude who like, had a real thick accent. If you know, you know. <laughs> and they were very noticeable. And obviously, this was the beginning of my relationship with a group called Chi Alpha. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a picture of me on worship. You only probably will recognize like three faces in that, if you, you know. So um, I became involved over the summer, and I would go to the group and hang out with everyone. Um, Emily would drive me because I didn't have a car. <laughs> we would hang out in Duncan's backyard. We'd grill up some food. I remember we sat around the fireplace one year for Fourth of July. It was really fun. I was drinking kombucha for the first time, yeah. some booch. <laughs> But then I would go back home and curse. I would gossip about these people I was hanging out with, like who, I were, who were my friends. And I would talk to my roommates and even gossip about other roommates that I had. And my biggest downfall that I look back on and I cringe really hard is that I obsessed over wanting a boyfriend. I remember vividly sitting on my bedroom floor one day, depressed, sobbing, and saying to God, this God that I only had, like, head knowledge of, who I knew of but didn't know. And I said, God, I'm a good person. Why won't you give me a boyfriend? Yeah. Ugh. So that right there was the beginning of a deep and depressing and horrible downward spiral. And three weeks after that day, I met a boy. So I'm going to pause there, actually. We'll get back to the story in a bit. And I want to go back to the scripture that we have been focusing on in this sermon series, Same God. So... We've got Exodus 34, 6 through 7. You want to throw it up there? It says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. I'm going to pause there. <laughs> Reading this, most people might be thinking, dang, that sounds pretty good. I serve a God who really just forgives everything I do, and I can keep doing what I'm doing because God will be just quick to forgive me. I can keep going out and partying. I can keep having sleepovers with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I can keep talking poorly about that friend because God will just forgive me if I repent and after it is done, I can move on. That is what some of us might have thought, including myself, or what some of us in this room might be thinking tonight. But we'll keep reading. <laughs> okay, for that second half but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. In another version of the NIV, or in the NIV version, it says he will not leave the guilty unpunished. I remember sitting in my room and I said, 
that kind of hurt God. <laughs> I was like, no thanks, that hurt. My heart's fragile. As humans, when left unchecked, we tend to lean towards sin. We will naturally and comfortably let ourselves fall in that direction. So how do we make ourselves feel better when we hear this? How did I make myself feel better when I read this two years ago? As broken humans, we have mastered the art of this thing called cherry picking. It's easy to read the beginning of Exodus 34, 6 or 7 and to form our own comforting idea of who God is. A God who loves the things that you love to do, partying, drinking, getting high. A God who says everything you want to hear. Oh, CJ, don't worry about that. That sin's not that bad. Oh, no, 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 don't worry. Sin's, sin's not that important. A God who calls us to live a life that we are already leading. A life where money is the center point of your life. A life where boys or girls are the center point. A God who lets you be comfortable in your sin. We cherry pick the Bible and create a God made in our own image. Unfortunately, but also fortunately, that's not how God works. Unfortunate if that's really what you want. Fortunate if you know that it's better the other way around. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. For many of you who know, my favorite movie is The Incredibles. <laughs> so let's talk about what being guilty means. <laughs> All right. To be guilty is to be unreconciled to God and trapped under the law of Moses, carrying a debt that is impossible to pay. In Hebrew, you're going to get a little bit of a, a language lesson tonight. In Hebrew, the word for guilty is aham. Or if you listen to it on Blue Letter Bible, it's a country man going, asham. It's pretty funny. Which means to be guilty or to be punished. Or it is raha, which means to be morally wrong or a bad person. Now, when the word guilty is used as a noun, it means the wicked, the guilty, or the ungodly. When used as a legal term, it literally refers to a person who is deserving of death. Now, in English, when we define guilty, it is culpable or responsible for a wrongdoing. So I like to do what kind of Sam did last year, where she likes to take the words out of the definition and break those words down. So let's break it down, and we're going to start with what being responsible means. To be responsible means to be held morally accountable to something. And now we'll define what wrongdoing means, and it means an illegal or dishonest behavior. So understanding that, to be guilty means to be held morally accountable for an illegal or dishonest behavior. Guilt is both a fact and a feeling. You can commit murder, and you are in fact guilty. The evidence points that you did it. You are guilty, and you violated this law that says do not murder. Or you can be having a poor thought life, lusting after people around you, saying ill things of those who annoy you, and the condemnation or guilt that you feel can be from yourself, from others around you, like a small group leader who has your best interest in mind is, is calling you out, or it can be in the form of conviction from God himself. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. The point of the series is to talk about God's characteristics and how he is the same God from both the Old and the New Testament. I personally have heard so many people say, God from the Old Testament is not the same as God from the New Testament, which I actually once thought too. They say that God from the Old Testament is destructive, he's wrathful, he's angry, but God from the New Testament, he's forgiving, he's loving, he's caring, he's gentle. Spoiler alert, he's all of these things in both Old and New Testament. Going back to the first thing I said about being guilty, which is to be unreconciled with God and trapped under the law of Moses with a debt that is impossible to pay. Did you know that in the law of Moses, which is the first five books of the Torah, there are 613 laws that followers of God are commanded to follow? So I hope you guys have cleared out your whole evening. We'll go over all of them. <laughs> all right. No, we won't go over all of them tonight. You guys can study those on your free time when you have, I don't know, five days to spare. But I do want to take a look at some Old and New Testament examples of what the law is with you guys. So there are three different types of laws given to us in the Torah. There are moral laws, 
laws for the government of Israel, and laws that are for priests or ceremonial laws. So here are a few laws that I assume almost all of us in this room, I at least hope that most of us in this room know. So that'll be things like do not steal, do not lie, do not commit adultery, do not practice witchcraft, do not practice bestiality. These are all things that we know and as Christians we actively avoid and make a conscious effort to avoid these sins and follow these laws, right? The same way that I make an effort to not go out and have premarital sex, to go out drinking, to go out and get high, so I must be a pretty good Christian, right? I follow the law and I don't break God's heart. <laughs> Here are four moral laws that we don't talk about. Or in the society today, we are afraid of speaking against. Things like blasphemy that I hear Christians on a daily do. Human sacrifice. Do you guys know that in America, the religion of Satanism can practice sacrificing their unborn or newborn children? Say, like, they can just do that for the sake of religious freedom. Homosexuality, where if you speak against it, you are automatically hateful or you are automatically discriminatory or abortion. Things that are so normalized today, things that are actively defended in the name of inclusion or advocacy, and we sin when we even tolerate these things. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like taking back that good Christian statement. I once was an advocate. I have lied. I have stolen things. And I even once thought that astrology was like the greatest thing ever. (laughs) And I have even said blasphemous things in my life. There's no way that I have followed these little lot, like these short amount of laws, let alone 613 laws. There is a Chi Alpha Maxim, I believe it is. Either that or we just say it a lot. I don't know. (laughs) But I don't think that it quite sinks in the way that we want it to. But it is when you break a law, you break a heart. But whose heart are we referring to? The laws are put in place by God to protect us. Laws like no premarital sex, no same-sex relationships, to not go out and indulge in drunkenness, to not do these things. And why is that? Are these laws in place because it breaks God's heart? God doesn't need you to protect his heart. When you break a law, you break your heart, which breaks God's heart. The the law of Moses seems like the guide to micromanaging when looked at outside of the Christian perspective. People outside of this Christian scope see something full of hate or discrimination, but Christians really know that the laws are put in place because God loves us. Like I said, too many laws to go over tonight. (laughs) So we'll go ahead and move on to the New Testament examples, and we'll go to Matthew 5. If you guys brought a Bible, you are welcome to turn there. If not, I've got it on the screen. We'll start on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. This stretches through Matthew, and Jesus is expanding on only a few laws from the Old Testament. And Jesus begins with the sin of anger. Jesus says, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This is obvious. We already knew this because we just saw this in Leviticus, right? We may be asking, Jesus, why are you bringing this up again? You know, But the cool thing is, Jesus doesn't stop here. He takes it a step farther, and he sets up more boundaries for Christians to abide by. He says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is not just talking about physically murdering someone. He says that if you simply have anger in your heart, you have committed murder in your heart. Now, I read Matthew two years ago for the first time, and I remember saying to myself, like, hey, God, you're, you're making this way too hard. <laughs> I literally was like, I don't know if this Christianity thing is for me. I was like, I can't do this. It's too much. Because I had an anger problem. But I was a good person, right? I said, okay, Lord, I'll stop having anger against people, and I tried to move on from that. Continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, we get to Matthew 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Like I said, this was two years ago, so 
I did not have a boyfriend, and I was like, all right, God, thanks for making up for how hard you were making this earlier. You know, this seems pretty easy. I don't even have a boyfriend. I can't go cheat on someone, right? (laughs) But while looking away, Jesus pointed me back, and he said, keep going. I remember reluctantly looking back, too, and I said, or he says, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed murder, or adultery, so sorry, committed adultery with her in his heart. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Do you guys understand how boy crazy I was two years ago? It's, It's embarrassing. I look back and I'm like, Lord, give me one minute. I can straighten her out if you let me go back in time. I can do it, I promise. If you even look at someone with lustful eyes, you are committing adultery. You read this and wonder, how the heck can I be a Christian? How can I do this? Christians are supposed to be good people. Jesus, I cannot be good if you are telling me I need to do this. This is when the process of realizing that I am not as good as I thought began. Now in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks about certain things like divorce. He speaks about making false oaths, things that are so normalized in this day and age. The next part to this day has been one of my biggest convictions, which I will get to in a minute, and it'll lead us right back into the story where I left off. My story picks up with I met a boy. I had just gotten back to Greeley from 2019 Salt, (laughs) and I was riding the Jesus High. I was riding the high of something I still did not know, and looking back, that should have been the first sign that I still had no clue who he was or what broke his heart. Now, this is something that I think many of us in this room have endured, where we have this incredible, amazing experience with God, and then the next week, all of a sudden, you're like really depressed, or you're really distracted. And it was so cool. I was talking to Jake about this, and he said that the devil comes at you with three things. It is pain power and pleasure and I'm sure a lot of us can attest to this I know I have when I got back to Greeley I was like I said working in this building and there was this guy who came into the UC and he was a friend of a friend and while he was visiting that friend at work that I worked with we sparked an hour-long conversation and realized we had a lot of things in common now he left And two weeks go by, and like I said, when I obsess, like I obsess, so for two weeks, all I thought about was this guy. And that's, like, mind you, I was a full-time student, full-time employee, and the only thing I could think of was a guy. Can't get him out of my head, and I actually had a second job at a place called Rudy's at the street, and two weeks later, who do you think walks in? (sighs) It was this guy. The devil came at me with pleasure. He was answering all of the requests that I was demanding of God. God has three answers. Yes, no, wait. Over salt, he very clearly not only told me, but he told people around me that he wanted me to be patient. So I assumed that this was my reward for my three-week-long wait. (laughs) But in hindsight, it was the devil rushing me when the Lord intended for me to be patient. The devil's voice is a rushing voice, and when you listen to that voice, you don't take a second to think. You just do. Through not being patient, through listening to this rushing voice, I in- indulging in the pleasure that the devil threw at me, it all went down from there. This guy gets my number from a friend, and we begin dating about a week after that. The first night that this person was my boyfriend, He didn't leave my house. He was staying the night every night, and I began rationalizing sin that day. We aren't having sex, God, so this can't be sin. A week after that, he tells me he loves me. And the initial discomfort I had should have been my indicator that something was terribly wrong. But I was so desperate to fill this God-sized hole in my heart that I was ready to let anything and anyone in. I was still a virgin, so I was still a good person. A week later, I am being coerced into premarital sex. And the devil does this funny thing where he disguises himself as your own voice. 
And he told me, it is okay. I'm going to marry him, therefore it is not a sin. When I say that sin kills you, I mean it decomposes the very being of who you are. After that night, I walked entirely away from God. And I was a broken vessel containing the dead remains of who I once was. Shortly after this person got what they wanted from me, the verbal abuse began. I had never in my life been spoken to that way, and he became emotionally abusive, and I could feel my existence withering away almost. Now three months into this sinful relationship, I walk into our then shared apartment, and I see him cheating on me with an ex-girlfriend of his. Now that was the beginning of actually desiring to die. I went to my home that night. We were living together, but I still had a, a place at my other house. And I said, God, if you are merciful, you will kill me tonight. If me standing here is not proof that that's not how God works, I don't know what will convince you. Now, 10 months into this relationship, yes, I stayed. This person begins to take his hands, and he began hurting me. Enduring verbal, emotional, spiritual, physical, and sexual abuse for roughly a year and three months. Another lie from the enemy that I'm 100% positive that most of us in this room have heard is, I already gave myself to them. I can't go to anyone else. I was so sure that because I had given this intimate part of myself to this person, no other man would want me. Why would God want me? I was convinced that I was not worth more than the abuse that I was receiving and that I deserved it. That was the truth in my heart. That was the truth that the enemy was feeding me. I was dying in this relationship and I was making myself far from God. One of my dearest friends and brother in Christ that I tend to either bully or get bullied by and pretend I dislike, Jake Holiday. <laughs> said it really well a few weeks ago when the Arkansas team was here, we were street preaching, and he said, if you want to live in sin, <laughs> yeah, I wanted a good ODG photo, you know. <laughs> Thank you, Callie, for that. <laughs> but Jake put it really well. He said, if you want to live in sin, you will die in it. And it is so true. I was dying in more ways than one. I spiritually was dying I was emotionally dying, and I was reaching a point of physically dying when I had written the suicide notes and had the pills ready to go in my hands. Wow. So why am I here today? Yeah. I hit rock bottom the night before I gave my life to God. I was living in Wilson Hall, and that Wednesday, I was assaulted in my dorm room by this person. And this was secret. No one knew that I was with him anymore. I'd laid there and seriously questioned my whole existence. I questioned the point of my life, why I was here and what my purpose was. And the next day, God answered me through a Chi Alpha sermon. I couldn't bear the separation any longer. I said that night, Lord, anything you want for me, you can have it. And that was the end of the season of death and the beginning of a beautiful journey with him. Now, after giving my life to God that night, I realized how little I knew of him. And it showed. I felt the fullest extent of my sin that night, and I wanted nothing more than to be washed clean and close to Jesus. And I thought that after I gave my life to Jesus, all of my problems would be fixed. Now, I want to be honest, a lot were. My depression was healed. I really like how Jake also puts it. When he gave his life to the Lord, colors outside seemed brighter. And that was so true. I remember waking up and I was like filled with joy. My suicidal thoughts were gone and I felt free. Yet something kept looming in my mind. In my early walk with God, my prayer life looked a little strange. I praised God and in the same name, or in the same sentence that I glorified my Father in heaven, I ended my prayers like this. I said, God, you are just. I know you have a cruel punishment in store for this person. I know it is going to be so well-deserved because of what he did to me. 
I know you will take care of it. As if God was like my personal bounty hunter or something. (laughs) And then a week later, I learned that this guy's life was actually going really well. He had a great job. He was, he was seeing girls. He you know, had all these girls lined up, and he was, he was having a good time. I was fuming with God. I said, God, you are supposed to be just. You are supposed to punish those who are wicked and evil. You are supposed to make his life miserable because of what he did to me. Now, I began thinking of ways that I could actually take vengeance into my own hands. I began wondering what I could do to ruin this person's life. How I could execute punishment in a way that would make me feel avenged, and I told myself that it was holy because it was righteous anger, but it was vengeance coming from a sinner's heart. Not a perfect and holy heart, but a broken, insatiable and bitter heart. And God in his patience and grace pointed me back to his word in this time. I didn't put these up there, but I'll give you all the addresses because it was just too much scripture for y'all, I promise. It was so much. So it's in Romans 9, 17 through 21. Repay no one evil with evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Deuteronomy 32:35, Vengeance is mine, and recompense for the time their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand. Going back to this idea where I thought I was a good person, God showed me finally where I was going wrong, not because he wasn't wanting to show me, because I finally allowed him to. It says in Judges 21-25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I did not have the rightful king on my heart. And when something occupies the throne of your heart that is not God, your vision becomes not only skewed, but most of the times even blind to the will of God. When I put a man on the throne of my heart, I lived in sexual immorality and depression. When that man was gone, I put myself on the throne, and I lived in bitterness and pride. Then God, in his gentleness and compassion, like we have talked about, showed me in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. I was not good. I was sinful. I was unrighteous. And I was guilty. As we talked about earlier, guilty literally means someone deserving of death. I deserved death. Everyone in this room deserved death. But this, this is the good news. This is the gospel. God does not leave the guilty unpunished. That is true. But he came down from earth, made himself man through Jesus Christ. And after 33 years of living on earth, he who was without sin, he who was without sin, he who was holy, He who was without guilt went to the cross and became sin, your sin, my sin, and washed us white as snow through the spilling of his blood. Jesus saw everything I would do. He saw every sin I was going to commit. He saw me call him some of the most hurtful, horrible things, and he saw me spit in his face, and he still chose to go to the cross for me. If I could have praise team come up. Praise team. This is where the reality set in for me what the cross actually meant. Jesus also died for the man who abused me. He says it right here. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior 
who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Did you catch that? Jesus died for me. He died for you. And he died for all, including the person that has hurt you in your life. Whether a friend, a family member, a boyfriend or girlfriend, or even a spouse. However, to those of you who went to Fall Salt in 2021, actually, Nathan Cole shared an amazing word about how real love forgives. And Nathan said, just because you forgive someone does not mean that what they did was right. And it does not mean they have a right to be in your life. Forgiveness means praying for your enemies, but also protecting that which keeps us close to God. We're going to end tonight back on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, after we get past divorce and on the false oaths, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This is where my prayer turned from God, you need to punish this person. God, let me do it. I could do it better than you. To God, I pray that he learns of you, who you truly are, and I pray that he meets you so that I can be alongside this person in heaven worshiping with him. This is where I went from knowing of God to knowing God. Knowing what breaks his heart genuinely for the first time because every time I said that first prayer, my own heart broke. This is where I realized I was not a good person. No one is good except for Jesus Christ. And this is where my conviction comes from that no one is exempt from punishment except through Jesus Christ. And if we all have hearts aligned with his, it does not matter what anyone has done. We should desire repentance and salvation for all. Like we shouldn't pick and choose scripture, like we shouldn't cherry pick the Bible. Jesus didn't cherry pick who he died for. Scripture says he died for all. As we end tonight, I want everyone in this room to hear this. Here on earth is the only place where we can have hope. You can be reconciled to God and therefore set free from the chains of this law of Moses. That is why there is an old and a new testament. That is why there's an old and new covenant. Jesus came to create the new covenant. He didn't come to modify the old. He didn't come to make it better. He completely destroyed it so that we were not held under the chains and that we were not viewing God's law in a legalistic way and he made it new so that we could be reconciled to him. For our response tonight, I want to start by speaking to the believers in this room. If you hear he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished and you feel dread or fear instead of peace, there is something more happening. Now, I'm not talking about shame. Shame is not the same as guilt. If you feel shame from sin, that is a lie from the enemy. If it's sin that you have repented for and you are living in shame, that is not from the Lord. What I'm talking about is guilt. If you are a believer, knowingly living in sin, whether it is secret sin or sin that hurts the body of Christ, that is giving you dread, then I challenge you tonight to fall on your knees and repent. You have acknowledged and accepted this gift already, so why are we squandering it? I am not saying that after you repent that you will be perfect. That is not what I'm saying because you are a human. You cannot be perfect. You cannot be good. Because the only one who is perfect, the only one who is good, who is without sin, became sin so that you would not receive the punishment you rightly deserve. If knowing that God punishes those who are guilty 
And if knowing that God is a just God scares you, you must come before the Lord and ask him why. Why does this scare me, Lord? And God is faithful and he will reveal it to you. And when he does, repent. Go to God and then go to your brothers and sisters. Now, for the unbelievers, it's acknowledged, but it's not accepted. You are being handed something that is more valuable than anything you will ever find on this earth. You are not just being handed a gift, you are being handed the gift. If you are an unbeliever and have not accepted this, then you are under the law of Moses and you are guilty. The guilty go to one place and that is hell. Hell is ultimate separation from our Lord and the farthest you will ever be from God. A place with complete loss of hope. All that hope we have on earth, that's gone. God wants you, that is true, but he will not force someone to be in heaven with him if they are openly rejecting him. So there's only one other place to go. He does not leave the guilty unpunished unless you reach out and receive the gift that Jesus has offered you. However, I wanna be upfront. Accepting this gift will cost you. It will cost you anxiety. It will cost you depression. It'll cost you addiction. It will cost you unloving friendships and it will cost you your sin. But you, I promise, will not lose anything. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then here is my challenge to you. Fall onto your knees and repent. Repentance is for all. Salvation is for all. Ask God to forgive you of the sins of your life. Repent and turn away from your sin and turn to him. He's waiting for you with open arms. And when an unbeliever gives their life to the Lord, in Luke 15, 7, it says, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. It's no accident that you're here tonight. It's no accident that your friend brought you or that you just heard us in the lobby and you decided to come check it out. He has brought you here. He wants you, he desires you, and he is calling you home. And if that is you tonight, if, that, if you are looking for what it means to be home and you have decided to make that declaration tonight, find a side on this room anywhere and find someone to pray with you. There are plenty of people, if I could have some small group leaders make themselves available for prayer. As believers, it is our job to help guide. The Lord does not leave the guilty unpunished, but that doesn't mean you have to remain guilty. Lord Jesus, as we respond tonight, I pray that if anyone is having the burden and the burning on their heart, Lord, to be close to you, God, that they will reach out and receive this gift you are giving them, Lord. I pray that tomorrow when we are talking about Good Friday, Lord, that they will realize the true sacrifice that you were for us. How we do not deserve what you have given us. How we do deserve punishment, but you paid for it with the price of your life, Jesus. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being just. Lord, we love you. And in your son's name I pray. Amen. For more information, please visit xaunc.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash xaunc. Our Instagram handle is at xaunc. And you can find all of our content on our YouTube channel by searching for Chi Alpha UNC. Until next time, may the Lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering.